Hello and welcome to the Ben Like Bamboo podcast where I get to interview special guests about their story um, and what resilience means to them. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Niti Nataraja, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Please allow me to introduce you properly. So everyone, Niti is a coach, freelance general counsel, DEI consultant and keynote speaker based in Melbourne with a passion for authentic and inclusive leadership. Nidhi advocates for a range of issues, including gender and racial equity, and through her business, Coaching by Nidhi helps to empower women who are feeling stuck in their careers to get unstuck by connecting them to their inner compass. She was recognised as a LinkedIn top voice of gender equity in 2022 and advises various companies and charities as an expert and mentor. So great to have you on the podcast, Nidhi. How are you today? I am doing well. It's so lovely to be here with you. So, yeah, no, doing really well. Beautiful. Well, let's get straight into it. How I would love to know, what does resilience mean to you? Yeah, it's interesting. So when I um, when you told me that you were going to ask me this question, I did a little bit think a little bit of thinking about this because I think my definition of resilience has changed over the years. Um, I think way back when, if I reflect on when I was younger, resilience to me really was, you know, that whole like you know you just persist and you just make it through everything and you just remain really strong and you just you know just keep going and you know, don't let things affect you. And it kind of, that kind of uh, reflected in the way that I led my life. Um, when I was younger, I was quite um, allergic to vulnerability, let's say, um, when I was younger. I was allergic to vulnerability. So many of us are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I think so that- how did that start? like how did you how did how was that a mirror image in your life so I think um one of the things that was really a big thing for me was not showing my emotional side to people because I really did consider it to be a weakness and I think there are a number of reasons for that I think you know growing up in a um with an Indian background, an Indian family, Indian community around us, um, talking about your emotional state, talking about your mental health just isn't a thing or wasn't, at least when I was growing up. I'm sure it's changed a little bit since that time. But it really wasn't a thing, even less so, I think, than in, say, you know, Australian society at large. And so that was that was a big thing. So that was how I was conditioned to approach emotions and mental health. And then I think there was a part of me that was also quite um, fearful of judgment and the reaction of other people. Like I think that's always been until probably the last few years, a really big issue for me. And so I think as a result, I think it, there was an element of me that was holding back from expressing my emotions because what might people say or what might people think. Um, yeah. So I think that was a big thing. And then I remember really um, vividly when my grandfather died, uh, when I was I think around about oh, nearly 21, I think, 
Um, and it was my first real close, up close experience of death. And he'd been living with us. So he was, you know, quite close um, to me. And I remember we had uh, sort of, you know, my friend, my parents' friends come over to um, sort of offer their condolences. And this is a very sort of Indian community thing to do. Everyone gathers at home. You all sort of cry together and, you know, say prayers and things like that. Um, so it was really beautiful. But then one of the um, family friends took me aside and said, you need to be strong for everyone else in your family now. And I was like, hang on, you know, this is in the midst of, you know, me having been quite upset and crying and suddenly it's like, okay, no, you have to be strong. And my dad, who normally was the one who would hold himself together, you know, at times which are a bit more stressful, was really distraught because it was his dad that had passed away. Um, and so I, I could see that everyone else was distraught. And so, you know, I took it upon myself in that moment to be the one that was strong, you know, and that held it together. And so I remember, you know, walking out because um, my grandparents lived in a granny flat in the backyard um someone had asked me to get something from their granny flat and I literally was like okay can't cannot cry need to be strong walked over saw his shoes at the um front door you know and there's something about seeing someone's shoes when someone's passed away it's just this reminder of the person that was and the fact that you know everything's just been left as it was before they passed and saw the shoes and was like must get in the door before I break down and so took myself into the granny flat and then had a few moments of just crying before I went, okay, shake, shake this all off and go back and now be strong again. And so I think for me, all these sort of little things and these messages over time just led to this idea of resilience being exactly that, being, you know, this sort of armour that you um, have around you to stop things from affecting you. Um, and I think it's only been later in life and probably I think when I had my pregnancy losses more than anything else that um, my opinion of what resilience was actually started to shift because I realised um, in that moment how much I'd been suppressing over time and just how damaging that was to me personally and how it was probably the opposite of resilience uh yeah. so yeah so that was a big turning point for me so I think for me now resilience is almost the opposite it's about facing the things that you are experiencing in life and almost coming to a form of a, a truce with them right like a, a sort of acceptance of them you know, so yeah, I think that's that's more I think what it is. That would create a different environment internally, wouldn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah. With them. And I suppose experiences that come, such as I'm so sorry about your pregnancy loss, um, that would have forced you to create um to look at resilience differently, that experience alone. Um, so I suppose as difficult as that experience was, um, I suppose it, it became a gift in the end. 
It did. And, you know, it's interesting because when I had, so I had two pregnancy losses and it was after I'd had my daughter. So it was quite unexpected because you, you know, you almost think once you've had one child that the second one is just going to come along easily, you know, because you've been through it and done it before and your body knows what to do. Not so much. Um, and so, you know, when I had my um, first loss, um, it ended up being what's called a complete molar pregnancy where there's a risk of, um, placental cancer and therefore they have to monitor your um, your HCG levels which is your pregnancy marker for quite a number of months and make sure that it's right down to barely nothing um, before you can try again and so when I'd had my pregnancy loss my immediate thought was right had a pregnancy loss move on try again you know we'll get back on the wagon and we'll have a baby and it'll be fine because we'll be able to move over, move on from this loss right like this is going back to the, my old way of being with resilience right and um i couldn't do that because of this um you know complete molar pregnancy and so i had to wait for months and months and months and those months were agony like the waiting was agony and i felt so out of control and being in control was again, like similar to the resilience, a big part of how I had liked to lead my life. And so not being in control and having to wait and then being at the whim of, you know, whatever might happen next was quite challenging. And so when I had a loss again, the second time round, I was like, oh, you know, I've done this before. It's not as bad this time round as what I was telling myself because I've been here. I've experienced these feelings before, you know, throw yourself into work, you'll be fine. And I did that for a period of time and it was only, I think probably three months later after my second loss, um, someone in a meeting said to me out of the blue, you don't seem like yourself, are you okay? And there was like this sliding doors moment where it's like I could say I'm completely fine, which is what I would normally do, and this moment will have been as if it never happened, right? Or... I can be honest with not just them, but with myself in this moment and say, no, I'm really not okay. And in that moment, I, I chose that second option. And it was like, it was such a release to be able to express not just what was going on for me in that moment, but literally it was like an avalanche of like just everything, like all this emotion, all these things I'd suppressed for a long time just came sort of gushing out um it was almost as if I couldn't stop talking once I'd started talking um and so it really did dramatically change things for me and I realized in that moment just how powerful it is to actually share what is going on for you and it's mm -hmm. kind of yeah it's kind of led me to be a lot more open with people generally about what I'm feeling um, yeah. as compared to the me of before. And how has that um, translated into other areas of your life in terms of you being able to express and be more open? How has that benefited you in, in your life personally and professionally? Yeah, so I think professionally, um, you know, this really came to light, I think, during the pandemic where um, I really didn't hide from what I was feeling in you know, during that time, um, how difficult it was. And so really being able to express that, I think, with my team and my colleagues was helpful, I think, not just for me, but for other people as well. Um, but yeah. more broadly than that, I think it has been 
really coming to grips with the idea that vulnerability is a huge strength and that in being able to share my own experiences and now I talk quite openly about pregnancy loss you know I've talked about it in a newspaper I've talked about it you know um, I talk about it with women because I volunteer for an organization called Pink Elephants every week Um, so I talk to women who are going through pregnancy losses themselves you know it actually has enabled me to heal from those losses you know they'll never go away they'll always be there but I have been able to turn that experience into something that has one transformed my life in terms of the way I look at what are my strengths and my ability to then hold space for other people and be there for other people who might be suffering in the same way I was. Definitely. And it's so hard being vulnerable, particularly when we aren't, when we create that armor out of protection for various different reasons of fear of attack, fear of being let down, fear of being disappointed, fear of being overwhelmed when we're already so stressed. So, I mean, I noticed you use, um, it's a beautiful analogy you use with the inner compass. You know, I'm all about that inner anchor, you know, the bamboo Mm. tree that therefore creates the flexibility. So do you think it is about that discovering your own inner compass that allows you to find that vulnerability? Yeah, I think they've kind of gone hand in hand. I think, you know, discovering my vulnerability and being able to lean into that a few years ago when I did have, you know, finally sort of express my emotions around my pregnancy loss was sort of the starting point for me personally in terms of really discovering myself. And then from there, being vulnerable with myself has allowed, and with other people, has allowed me to explore other things that have been challenging for me over time. So, you know, even delving into things like, um, you know, for me, colorism was a big thing growing up. And this is, you know, the whole, um, you know, the the stigma about having darker skin and which is a big thing in the Indian community. You know, they value fair, fair skin over darker skin. And so that for me was a big thing growing up. And just even, you know, being able to lean into what that felt like, what that looked like, and being able to talk about that openly is, again, a big thing. And each each time, like, I explore more and more of these things and what are the um, deep underlying fears or, um, you know, things I'm running from. You know, like, what am I running from? It just, I think all of it collectively has allowed me to really explore at a much deeper level, you know, who I am from an identity perspective. uh, What are the things that guide me or that, you know, um, and both in a positive and in a not so positive way, right? Like, what are the things that, you know, I, I run from? What are the things that I fear Um, as much as what are the things that I really aim for in life. But then also then, you know, together with that, being able to really identify what do I value, what is really important to me, what do I want to have more of in my life, all these things, you know. So it's been this sort of cumulative journey for me personally, which has taken, you know, a few years. Um, And it's why I now 
am in this space because I just, you know, I think so often we seek validation and we seek answers in the external world. Like we look for advice from other people. We ask people, what do you do if, what would you do if, you know, what should I do, you know? And so when we're asking for answers from other people or we're seeking answers in the external world, we often haven't connected with actually what are our own deeper motivations? What do we want? Like, what do I bring to this world? Yeah. What do I need in my life to feel the way I want to feel? Right? Yeah. yeah. And most of our best decisions are made. You know, you talk about the high, most highly successful people and to be clear, it's after, we, after age 40, more in our 50s and 60s, but also it's um, the ability of all the men and women that have been studied that, you know, really done exceptional things. It's the ability to close eyes, to go within, and then there's an answer that sparks up of what to do, that guidance. But how do we do that if we haven't gone into that journey of being able to go within when there's difficult emotions or pain or suppression that causes us to, you know, more seek the external because it's not comfortable to be inside. So we've got to do that work where we return back to ourselves, finding our inner compass, finding our inner anchor. And then inevitably that makes us feel more connected and alignment in the mind, body and spirit. And I really believe that's what changes our energy and elevates us to therefore being able to access more elevated emotions, joy, love, yeah. compassion, resilience, you know, and then we can let go of fear, anger, worry, you know, yeah. all stuff. So if I were to ask you then those questions that you just spoke about, what were you running from? What was I running from? Oh, like all sorts of things. Snapshot. In a yeah. small snapshot. Um, so, look, I think there are a few things. I think I have a, um, one of the things I reflected on recently was I was, running from not being able to find belonging, particularly when I was younger. So I, you know, I grew up in this Indian community, as I said, and um, I really struggled with an identity related issue around, you know, who am I? I'm here, I'm in Australia, but my parents are holding on to this Indian culture. And, you know, that was a big thing for them. But I never felt that I fit in or I belonged within this circle um, of people. And so I said to myself, you know what, uh, this isn't me and I don't want to have any part of this. And I would groan when my parents would say, you know, you have to go to this, you know, um, event or function or whatever. And I just didn't want to be Indian, right? Like I just I ran from it. And it's only been over the last few years I've really discovered, actually, do you know what? The reason I was running is because I was so desperate to belong that I found the only way to deal with that was to reject it in its entirety and just go, I don't want it, you know? And so I think yeah. that for me was a big thing. And I think it ties into a deeper need to, um, to feel loved, to feel, you know, that connection with people. Um, and I think that was something I ran from as well. You know, I really kind of, um, had this deep-rooted fear of, you know, my ability to form relationships and connections with people. And yeah, so I ran yeah. from that. 
and maybe that's what guides you now is if I was to ask you that next question is what guides you is to feel love and connection yeah I think so I think feeling love feeling connection um and feeling purpose I think that's been a big part of you know my journey over the last few years is really connecting into do you know what what do I actually want to do in this life and what does this mean to me and you know I think it was something that was really missing for me over the last 20 years particularly from a professional perspective um was you know there was just something missing in my career and you know I think it was really this element of what am I actually doing and why am I doing it and so being able to find I guess that purpose and a mission and being able to give back um you know has been great and it's you know and and you're right I think in some ways that is about connection because a lot of the work I do now is talking to people day in day out you know that's what I do and it is it is connection work um you know coaching by Niti and and um the wonderful we've got so many um wonderful volunteer roles as well yeah it's um yeah it's been brilliant and it is it really fills my cup you know that um ability to spend time with people help them unpack what's going on for them and you know that moment when you see and you would you would know this obviously too being in this space but when you see someone have a realization and you can see them processing and it's you know something's happened something's changed for them that moment is brilliant like that's that they're the moments that you wait for in these in these calls that you have with people yeah love yeah it is their whole face changes yeah um, and you can feel that within yourself when you have that experience. It's it's a structural experience, like physically in your body. It's a biochemical experience because your brain's now firing differently, and you can feel a shift in your chemistry and even your digestive system, the blood, your nervous system, the way it's firing emotionally, and then that spiritual elevation mm-hmm. and realization awakening that way it's like the veil comes off and you can see the world with these fresh eyes everything looks cleaner and whiter and more beautiful yeah yeah it's beautiful yeah that that shift is amazing and I think you know over the last few years I've had a number of those moments where things have just suddenly yeah shifted into place and things have just really changed and it's transformative because you do you look at things differently you look at the way that you're showing up yeah. for other people differently but importantly look at the way that you're showing up for yourself differently yeah. you know definitely so you're also an NLP practitioner yeah. um, and you love to coach women to help them to become unstuck um you've you've got so many amazing roles like I it's wonderful the creative cooperative and angel investor at nobody studios what what do you do at Nobody Studios? Tell me about that. Yeah, so Nobody Studios is a um, it's a slightly newer type of venture studio. Um, it's in the states. Um, I connected with someone a few years ago who was being was a large part of it, you know, bringing it to fruition. And so yeah, so when she spoke to me about it, and the whole idea is that it's you know crowdfunded, so they get um, anyone can invest, which is why you're a nobody right? Um, So it's kind of bringing venture capital to everyone and allowing everyone to have a slice 
a venture capital, but their whole idea is to build an enormous number of companies and to then launch these companies and then set them on their way. And so you just have this little piece of the pie and you can also co-create, so which is kind of cool. So you can be involved in ideating what these companies might look like um, and really helping to build them. So it's, yeah, so it's kind of cool, but yeah. I do have a lot of roles. Um, you know, someone told me, someone very wise said to me last year when I was starting um, my business, they said to me, what your biggest challenge is going to be over the over time? It's going to be discernment. And, you know, he's not been wrong. That's been my biggest challenge has been going, what do I say no to versus what do I say yes to? Oh, you've done so much work over the years in terms of acquiring new knowledge in the mind. And then you're right, there, there's a point where we must stop and check in and transform that acquired knowledge into a new way of being and mm. with the learning. So who do I want to be in this world now after what I've learned with this new wisdom? Well, the wisdom comes from becoming it in your being. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, when you have that understanding, it's much easier to see when things don't align. Like I had this moment um, uh, a couple of months ago where you know I was working with someone and you know what we were working on was fantastic like really good stuff but we had a conversation and the conversation just threw me off balance because there were things said that didn't align with my own personal values around you know fairness and equity and things like that and um, you know there was a little bit of bias and judgment I think in in what this person was saying some stereotypes sort of were brought up and in that moment, I sort of went, you know what, like, it doesn't matter how good the work is that we're doing in this moment, I can't do this, I can't be in this space, because it just does not align with my personal values. And that alignment is important to me now. So I think, you know, and, and I think it's a constant learning journey, right? Like, I don't think we can ever completely know ourselves inside out. But all we can do is continue to incrementally get to know ourselves better. And so for me, that's kind of the journey. And as I get to know myself better, I can, you know, start saying no to these things where I go, actually, no, that doesn't work for me anymore because, you know, it's it's out of alignment. I love that, incrementally getting to know. And, and, and it feels it feels less pressure. It feels like... You know, it just feels kinder thinking about it in that way. I love that. I'm taking that on today. Can you give me three tips, Nitty, of, of anyone listening today that I'm sure is so inspired by um, what you're sharing and that can absolutely relate? If they're feeling um, perhaps like they're not understanding themselves or they're constantly looking for advice externally um, or they're going through something difficult in their life, what, what are your tips that you can share? Yeah, I think, look, number one, um, that's a big one, but I think you need to make time to get to know yourself if you're in that space. And I think we often spend a lot of time just on autopilot, just, you know, rushing through life from one thing to the next. And in doing that, you know, and, and this is something I often have a lot of people say to me when they do coaching with me is, you know, I don't spend I've never spent this amount of time just reflecting and we don't. And so I think making that time to reflect is really, really important. Yeah. I think working 
and uh, you know I don't want to plug coaching here but you know I, I, I do think it's important sometimes to um, talk to people who can help guide you on how to reflect I think that yes. is important because we don't know how to do it no one's taught us how to do it and Absolutely. and we're so um, stuck in our heads and with our stories and the things that we've told ourselves over time they've become unconscious like as I said to someone the other day you know there's this unconscious denial of things right mm-hmm. that are true for us and so it's only when someone can hear the language that we're using hear the patterns in how we're showing up or you know the things we seem to be running from in conversation that it's like a mirror reflecting back to you to go, here's what you just said. Tell me about that. And, yeah. you know, it's as simple as that quite often. But it's yeah. having that mirror is, is I think, often really important because it's hard to do it by yourself. It's out of our awareness. So then yeah. you're, as a coach, um, you know, identifying that through body language or, you know, particular words used, and, and that is why find your people, find your tribe of people, your mastermind group that help you um, with your personal and professional journey as well. Like, you know, to be successful in our careers, we need to run our ideas by people. And, you know, a connection of network is how we grow things, but also in our personal life. How We, we need that tribe and it might be a bunch of girlfriends, or it might be a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a kinesiologist, or a coach, whatever works for you. And for me, it's a combination of all those things. But once you yeah. find the right it, it changes everything. It really accelerates your growth. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And over the years, you know, exactly as you've said, I've spoken to any number of people, like I've, you know, spoken to coaches, to healers, you know, to yourself as a kinesiologist, obviously, as well, and to a number of different people. And and I think that's important, right? You know, and I think the third tip I would give to people, and, I, you know, I see this a bit, is don't hurry it. You know, don't rush it. I think people are often so desperate to find the solution that it's like, right, I need to fix this thing and I need to fix it yesterday, you know, and often um, these things take time. And so, you know, I've even had people who are like, you know, I'd like to be in coaching and I'd like to do it like a, you know, every week for the next six weeks. And I'm like, do you know what? That's, you're you're rushing it too much. Let's leave some more time between. You need to have some time to go away and reflect because the magic often happens in the in-between moments as much as it does in the sessions, you know. That's when you really start to go, oh, that pattern that my coach, kinesiologist, whoever identified, I did it again today. It showed up today. And so it made me feel, you know, those are the moments that can really start to shift things for people. And so I think rushing to find solutions is is often counterproductive as well. Beautiful. Oh, that's so inspiring, Eddie. I got so much out of talking to you today. I'm going to apply a few things to my life this week. And I'm so glad that I know you. And I'm so pleased you agreed to come onto the podcast this morning to share your story and the beautiful work that you do. Thank you so much.
My pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you loved this episode, please share, please subscribe, share the love, um, and I'll see you next time. Thank you again, Nitty. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ben Like Bamboo podcast. Please rate and share the episode with your community or anyone you think may need to hear this episode. If you would like any help with maximizing well-being and flexibility in your life personally, you can see me one-on-one at the private practice in Melbourne or on Zoom if you are not local. You can book in or find more info at benlikebamboo.com. If you would like help remotely, I have a resilience program you can do as an online course with six eBooks and videos on mind, body, food, connection that include resilience and tools that can help you to feel happier and healthier after rebuilding from change, stress or illness. If you would like help with boosting resilience and wellness in the workplace, you can book in for a free Zoom discovery chat. The Ben Like Bamboo at Work program can be delivered in person or virtually. And if you would like to inquire about Ben Like Bamboo at School, you can find information on all these programs on my website, amandacampbell.com.au. And you can contact me on email, amanda at benlikebamboo.com. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And remember that flexibility builds resilience. And no matter what you are going through, you can overcome it and discover what you are made of. See you at the next session.